Fella, how you doing today? My love of the shroom should not go unnoticed. <laughs> I've talked about them many, many times. Today don't I ignore wanna... it. Don't, don't ignore, ignore it. it. I don't want you to look past it. I love shrooms. I'm on record. If I do <laughs> run for office, I'm on record that I love shrooms. And I like the good shrooms. I like right now I got this combo bombo I've taken daily. My Rishi, my Chaga, and my Cordyceps getting them in. Um, Just a big fan, man. Mm. But, not, in fact, this, but not hallucinogenic shrooms. I've never taken a hallucinogenic See, shroom yet. And at the time there, of this recording, there is the the sound I I bite. I is it. I love shrooms. The context that's is where they get you. that's where they get you. Like, listen, you know, even even Trump gets sound. But I'm also everybody. But I'm what I'm saying. I don't look. I don't even. <laughs> I, I'm saying that I haven't yet, and I'm not against yeah. it. I just have never been against it. I think I've been in the position to. I just wasn't actually wanting to at that time. But I would do it. Shrooms. Sound bites. Welcome back to More in Common. I am your co-host, Keith. What up? I'm Rod. And this is where we look to have compassionate conversations with fellow human beings so we can anchor you in the space of compassionate conversation for more effective connection. That's right. And if you like what you hear today, share it. Sharing is caring. It'll help us out. And you find all things more in common at moreincommonpod.com. That's right. Share us, like us, leave us a comment. Tell us what we're doing. Tell us what we're not doing. And today we're with Wendy Kim. Keith, what are we talking uh, about with Wendy? Wendy, what an amazing person. We get into a lot of her mixed race cultural experience, denying her Asian identity growing up what it was like to reclaim that identity as she started to see the power in being her full self and then leaving the corporate world to start her own, write her own best-selling novel. So we talk about her journey and a lot of what that experience was like in both her past and her present. And we're excited to bring this conversation to you. So we're gonna be real quick with today's intro. Let's get it. Zip, zap, zoom. <laughs> That's me. <insane. laughs> All right, we're going to take a little break here. I want to tell you about something pretty amazing that we stumbled upon. A little ways back, we interviewed this amazing dude, Kwame Bowen, and he shared with me after the episode that his mother is a poet. And what's awesome about that is that he has all of her writings and all her poems, but what he doesn't have is her reading them. That inspired Keith and I to then start recording videos for our daughters. And as we started recording those videos, we started running into the challenges, the challenges of where are we going to send them to our daughters? How are we going to get them to them? Where are we going to save them? Is it going to be Google Drive? Is it going to be OneDrive? And then along came GiftPod. It's an audio memory that you can record and give as a private podcast. What they're going to do is edit, add music, and produce the audio that you provide them into a professional podcast that you can share 
with your family members for any purpose. We use it for our daughters in the future. All right, so check it out. In the write-up for this podcast, you're going to see a link to GiftPod. If you use promo code MIC10, you're going to get a discount. And uh, leave some amazing memories for your friends, family, loved ones, maybe for yourself. Why don't you time capsule this for yourself? I don't know. So check them out. Giveagiftpod.com. MIC10 promo code. I, I was born in Georgia. My birth certificate says white because there was only black or white. They only had those distinctions. So gets into, again, white proximate Asians having white adjacency and and trying to leverage that as much as possible to to get ahead, even if it meant stepping on other minorities' backs to to get there. Welcome back to the More in Common Podcast. I am your co-host, Keith, with my man, Rod. And today, we are with Wendy Kim. Wendy is a number one international best-selling author of the book Beyond Blending In. An Immigrant Daughter's Guide to Overcoming Cultural Bonds for a Life of Authenticity and Abundance. Wendy loves to read and is the mother of two amazing kids who she loves to surf with. She is also a professional public speaker and empowerment coach. Wendy is committed to empowering women of color to find their voice, stand up and step out to make a difference in the world. Wendy is also committed to diversity and inclusion in the workplace and in leadership. What if you weren't meant to blend in? Wendy spent her whole life trying to blend in. Being biracial and living in a predominantly white community, she tried hard to be white and to blend in even though that wasn't possible. And later on, she moved to a primarily Asian community and didn't fit in there either. This pattern continued into into college and the corporate world until she finally broke through to live her best life. It is Wendy's deepest desire that you will find the inspiration and tools to go beyond and live the most authentic and abundant version of yourself. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you. So excited to be here. Uh, We're excited to have you. So I want to just, I want to jump right into the deep end of this conversation. Let's do it. And, um, in your bio, so you mentioned you tried hard to be white. This is something we've talked a lot about in um, in past conversations. So growing up in an environment where you struggled uh, to understand your own identity, mm-hmm. what did being white mean or look like to you at that time? Yeah, so I I am biracial. So my my dad is German. My mother is Korean, and actually, my dad was a single dad and and raised me until I was eleven. So, I didn't have a lot of exposure to the Korean culture. Uh, I knew about kimchi from a young. I love me some kimchi. Love it. Get those probiotics, and they taste good. Yeah, but the the thing is, I thought kimchi was so bad, like it was. Stinky. It was, uh, and Fermented now it's like the most. Take a little special, you know, 
Fermented, yeah, and now kimchi is all the rage, right? But back then yeah. it was like, oh my god, that stinks. That that's weird. So Korean. Did you like sauerkraut from the German side? Did you like Did <laughs> yes, you like sauerkraut? <laughs> I did, and I would say kimchi is the Korean version of sauerkraut. Yes, with a, with um, a little more heat. Exactly, and I think it yeah. tastes way better than sauerkraut. Although I do way love better. a good brat with some sauerkraut on occasion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so it was rejecting my cult it was rejecting anything asian hmm. uh telling people telling my white friends oh that's weird koreans are so weird look at look at asians portrayed in media they're weird i and really trying to distance myself as much from that as possible hmm. and not and not learning about my the Korean culture, not wanting to embrace any aspect of it to show, oh, I, I'm not like one of them. I'm I'm really more like you. I'm more white. Uh, even in even in college, my my friends would say, oh, you're so white. And I now I wouldn't consider that to be a compliment. However, back in Talk the day, about that I microaggression. Did. Yes, exactly. They, 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 and they saw it as like a compliment. Oh, you're like one of us. And I did at the time too, because I had distance, I had rejected my culture so much in order to have white, white proximity, if you will. So what, it's such a fascinating concept. So if I'm just hearing it for you, especially early, it was rejecting your Korean heritage, mm -hmm. did did everybody else reject well, was the it, Korean heritage? Was it like, really rejecting it, though? Because if you weren't around it, like, did you have, were, were, were you rejecting it or you just didn't know it? Or was it both? I would say it was both. Like, it was interesting because when I moved to Hawaii, when I was 11, again, predominantly Asian culture, I didn't feel accepted by by the community because <laughs> they they saw me as really whitewashed, which I was. And because I wasn't accepted in a lot of ways, I ended up taking on that identity of, yeah, I'm I'm white. I'm I I speak more intelligently. Like I speak better than you. There's no, there's no accent. Yes. I, mm. I know more. I, and so in a way, like I, I took it on as an identity of, oh, I'm better than you. I, mm. and again, so I, even as I learned about more about the Asian culture being in Hawaii, I, I didn't want to eat with chopsticks, chopsticks. I, I didn't want to learn the Korean language because it would show I was more white. Therefore I was more American. So an it, interesting, it, just an interesting side note on um, the intelligent sounding thing. Isn't it funny that we've ascribed intelligent sounding to whiteness? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's, that's was, default whiteness at play, but it's just like, it, it speaks volumes to this idea. Like, you know, whiteness exists because Europeans deemed dark-skinned individuals as other, mm -hmm. right? Um, if, if Mainly for the purposes of making be, money. Often. For the purpose of making money and subjugation and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, whether it's calling someone red skinned or yellow skinned or brown skinned, it's like all of a sudden what that does is it creates white yet there is no white culture, Mm -hmm. right? There's European, there's Czech, there's there's German, German there's Swiss, Italian, like that all of these, those are the cultures. And I find it, I, I, there's, and I think it's such an interesting dialogue to say, like to have that space of as a white person, I don't think, Oh, I'm so white. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, Maybe it's a bad dancer. There are tropes. It's funny because I think it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But that's my point, right? Like, because you are deemed other culturally, Mm -hmm. especially in America, it's that perspective. So, like, for me, like, what is that whiteness? I think we all kind of say, oh, I know it, right? But it's not really a thing thing yeah it was made up it was made up and i mean italians were at one point not considered white totally irish were considered jewish people were not considered white it's just this made up category which basically was like you're either in or you're out based off and i i think the thing that's most interesting about your comparison not to interrupt is the whiteness is the superiority, which in of itself is why it exists, is this belief that white is superior than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And thus, when you def- deny your own culture, it, it's almost like, in, I want to be better. And you kind of talked about that when you went to white. It's a belief now, but I think it started as the justification. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, like, how do we, like, how do we justify the slaughter and murder of these native uh, Americans that they, or, or this group. Oh, well they're different. So if we say they're not as intelligent or they're not fully human or they're not this, or they're not that we are better. Therefore what we do is just like what we do to animals or bugs. It's like, yeah, well they're not human. So it's okay. Um, But I think that has become the belief now is the, what you're saying, the white supremacy, um, is yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's fundamentally all of it, right? There's you. You bring up an interesting point, Wendy. I might. I don't know. I was talking to my dad a few years back, and he said something about the Roman Empire and how, as it spread throughout Europe, you you know, like a Spaniard could become a captain in a Roman centurion or in a Roman army because a Spaniard could look like most of the other people around them. Um, mm-hmm. whereas an African could never look like all of the other Europeans or an Asian or, and, and so this idea of assimilation, becoming white, becoming white skin tone, becoming white accepted is physically impossible for many groups or definitely. Yeah. And that's the one, like the hugest difference for the black experience in America or the Asian experience in America, it's like, which we can get into the whole model minority wedge mm-hmm. that was driven yeah. in between yeah. black, Definitely. blacks and Asians. But it's like, um, that's the thing that just keeps it from being okay. And then we have this cultural, uh, love affair with, uh, how people speak, you know, like how people speak. So we have code switching and we have, mm-hmm. uh, 
the 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 analysis of the black quarterback and it's like oh, he's so well spoken or mm. of the asian woman she's so well spoken it's like what well, did you what so what you're really saying is you expected them to sound like they were raised by wolves and they or to have an you. accent and mm-hmm. yeah 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 speak with you know some sort of inflection that doesn't enunciate ex- all the syllables in every word and letter right yeah did yeah. you so did you have like a reckoning with this whole i mean hawaii yeah. was a little bit but like well you said in school like what was the reckoning for you of being white being korean ah, like what is it or how did you where where are you on it but how did you get there as well? yeah yeah i think so i i started my business coaching primarily women about six years ago So I left the corporate world, the corporate world, I was in tech and I was often the only person of color, the only Asian, a lot of times in in rooms, I was in program management. So I did work a lot with, with upper management and execs. And it was obviously like very majority white male. And so very much conformed to what I thought people wanted me to be so that I could be successful in that environment. And then I left. So I left the corporate world and I was starting my own business doing coaching. And I, at that time, wasn't focused really on women of color or Asian American women was just focused on working with women. However, over time, I ended up attracting a lot of um, Asian American women, a lot of Latino women. And I started to notice these patterns of where, like when it's, when it's yourself, you, you don't really see it, but when you're looking, when someone else is talking or you can kind of see, wow, like they, they feel this need to conform. They, they feel this, this need to be, have white proximity. They have, so there were these patterns. They feel this need to be quiet in order to survive or, and to succeed. So I saw that over and over with my clients. So that really forced me to look at myself and to look at, okay, what am I, what am I doing to assimilate? What am I doing to conform? Uh, What am I doing that's not embracing who my culture, that's not embracing who I am? So I went several years ago and it continues. It's, It's not like I've just arrived. Like I continue to see my own internalized racism toward toward my own culture Mm. so Mm. that that's really i would say it started several years ago and is can and continues how quick back to the conforming is the Mm -hmm. i want to i want to dig into that real quick because you said being what you thought people expect you to be and then you gave some examples like white proximity and being quiet um, what else have you seen or what have you seen in your clients or in yourself, uh, that, that fits into that realm? I, like you said that in like a whole bunch of just like <laughs> alarm bells went off in my head. I'm like, Oh, I know this very well. Yeah. So say like I was in a meeting and 
being the only woman, being the only person of color with being the only non-technical person typically as, as a PM with, with all of these white male engineers. Yeah. I think it, it was expected that I would not speak up very much. It, it was expected that I would not challenge the, the people in the room. It, it was expected that I would take on more of a, a subservient role, to be perfectly blunt, in, in terms of coordinating. And, and I took it. I took it because I wanted to get ahead in my career. And and I felt like if I if if in I would try and challenge things at times and would receive pushback. Yeah, I was getting ready. And I, was, I, was, I was like, that's why I was going to ask. How did it present? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there. I mean, there were there were things like oh, like I remember when I got prom- I got promoted from uh, to like a senior manager position, and there were. Re- there were people who were saying, "Oh, yeah, she's she's sleeping with the the senior VP," mm-hmm. um, which was that, that old a uh, that old trope, right? Like, money. oh, that's oh, how she got ahead. She's a woman got promoted. Yeah, yeah like I didn't get her way promoted. Up. I'm this white male technical person. She got promoted to senior manager of. P- the PM group, it it must be, it's not because she's smart or talented or worked hard. It's because she slept with the SVP. Like that was Naturally. the, the, the yeah. default that some people came up mm-hmm. with. And yeah, so it was, it, I was under scrutiny a lot and any success that I received, it, it was, Again, oftentimes not because, oh, she she just is a great PM or she just really worked hard. It was because of other factors. I think this is one of those good moments to like zoom in and be like, hi, white listeners. I want to talk to <laughs> no, you. I was just thinking the I want to talk to you about white privilege. Yeah. Uh, no, I was thinking the same when thing. When you get can hired I, can for I a role. Can I take a mic on that? <laughs> yeah, take go. That you one? go and then I'll support. No, because I think it's important. Because this question will often come up, right? Well, how do you know it's racist? Oh, my least how do you favorite know question. Doing this, right? <laughs> I, and, oh. and, and I certainly, like, I know there are times where Rodney will struggle. Like, I don't know, but I know. And then there are all the other times, which I'm, you know, th- that you experience in the course of a day, those moments, those just, there, there are a lot of moments in a day. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of minutes. There are a lot of hours that I never experience with you. And my moments, minutes, and hours are very much focused on me. So if I'm in that same situation, maybe I'm introverted. The expectation, though, is that I speak up, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're in here. Your expectation is, like, contribute. Because if I don't contribute, then what value am I providing? Mm-hmm. However, which, on the other side, which is mind-boggling to me. Like I've sat in meetings what? with people, mainly white men, that have that ingrained in who they are, and I'm just sitting back, like taking it in, trying to understand the meeting, trying to figure out what's going on, and like everybody feels like they have to talk, and I'm like, but you didn't yeah. say anything. Like, why are you? That's right. worse, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And and that 
in of itself. So yes, as a as a an experience, I have my own internal struggles, and there are certain things, and we all do. Yeah. But then you have to add on to it the expectations of of color, like male or female, because that adds a dimension of oh no, Rodney's got to be careful how he says what he says. Yeah, I could get up and get really fired up, and like just guys, this is ridiculous. I would never have done that. If Rodney does that, now he's the angry black guy, and it's a real yeah. thing. Like it's a, it's a real bias that that people have. So he's got to he's got to have that layer onto it, and then you add the layer of being a woman, that adds uh, another dimensional oh, layer. Oh, she's being of, emotional. Oh, she's being emotional. Or why are you speaking up? I mean, we talked about this with Dr. Dina. Like you're here because you're smart, but don't don't step on. We're, we're all here. We don't we don't need you in this space. And it's a real thing, moment by moment. Sometimes it might not be real. It's painted by that experience of all those real moments that that are real. And I speak to the audience on this who still might struggle to think, well, how do you know? It's like, because when you, I'll never forget the, mo the, the woman who recorded her walk to work in New York City. It's a 15 minute walk mm -hmm. in New York City. And she got catcalled 125 times. 125 times in a 15 minute walk. Now I come along and I say, Oh, what you can walk in front of me or something. Every one of those 125 catcalls that were overt, outward, obnoxious invasion of your space and privacy are now going to paint whatever experience you have with me. So my intent may not be there. Mm -hmm. And we may be in that space in a very safe way, but all that other stuff paints that, that the experience. And that's the stuff that weighs so heavily that as a white male, I don't experience. I don't like, I don't have. And I think yeah. if we yeah. think about it in a very real way of human existence, like people need to stop asking, well, how do you know it's true? Well, you know, it's true because it's true. And how the most do you simple... not? How do you know it's not true? Because that's always the question. Like if um, one of my guests recently, she was talking about if like a white male were to apply for an apartment, like he and he didn't get the apartment, he he might go, oh, okay, well maybe maybe I didn't make enough money, maybe my credit score wasn't good. But if you're oh. like a black woman, you you're going to ask the question, okay, but was it because I'm black? Was it because I'm a woman? Was it? And the fact that a white male knows <laughs> it's not because of the color of his skin. hundred percent. It's that psychological burden. Yeah. It, it is. It's a psychological burden, whether it's true or not true. It's painted by lived experience because it is still true in many circumstances. And to have to ask yourself that question. Yes. Well, and is is in is is the nature. I of think this whole the thing. most right. simple definition I've heard of privilege is something that you don't have to think about. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. I one of my um, friends, uh, she's she's gay, married, two kids, and said one time, "If you've never had to question your rights and whether they 
being you is legally acceptable or not, then you have privilege. Yeah. And the only space that that has existed in the history of the human race or in the, in the American culture, especially is white men. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the def like my, my friend says it's the default and then everything mm -hmm. else is a comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. What do we know about comparison in, in comparisons? One party is always diminished. Always. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I'm curious, like, going back to Rodney's question as we d totally diverted to speak to the audience there. Um, <laughs> I hope it. I, I hope I nailed the it. The more um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the embracing, I mean, you talk about internalized racism of your own culture, yeah, which exactly is something where that will come off of this. But how have you learned to embrace your Korean heritage and what does that look like for you? Yeah. So I definitely am more intentional about it with my kids because I, I didn't really learn much about my culture until I actively pursued it in my thirties. Mm. Uh, like going, going Which to just Korea. started yesterday. So <laughs> You've learned a lot in a day. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, you are I love smart. you. I love you. Um, <laughs> no, so anyways, um, I won't bring up Asian stereotypes about age and things like that. But anyways. Mm. So, I'll bring up a black one. Black don't crack. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's been like I I'm really passionate about food. If if you've known me, um for a bit, you'll learn that I, I have like an extreme passion for food. And mm. um, one of the ways that I like to learn more about cultures is by going to different restaurants. Mm. And I feel like you, you like, it, it's funny. I, I love foods from most cultures. And so I'll like, for instance, if I'm talking to someone from, I don't know, Iran, I will talk about my, my love for, for Persian food. And it's like this automatic connection. It's mm -hmm. like, why you, you know, my food, like, and you love it. And, and there's just like this automatic connection. And, and so for me, even like, I didn't grow up with traditional celebrating traditional Korean holidays. So, like the Chuseok, which is the Korean Thanksgiving, uh, there's like moon festivals, New Year's foods. So, I literally will go on to YouTube. And for instance, on New Year's, we, we made mandu, which are dumplings, Korean dumplings. I had never made those in my life. And so, I go to YouTube. And and my kids and I we we made these dumplings together and it was really it was really amazing. And so it's it's simple things like that, just learning about like reading books. There's now there's so many books, children's books that teach about different cultures and and we read that too. So even though my I'm teaching my kids, really I'm learning it myself. Mm. Uh, even even things like reading um, Korean Korean authors, 
that's something that uh, Min Jin Lee, one of my favorite books is Pachinko. And it, it talks about uh, Korean immigrants to Japan, which is interesting because I actually did live in Japan for five years, even though I'm not Japanese. Uh, so that, yeah, those are some ways that I've, I've actually like even going to cultural festivals. Those were things I did not grow up doing because my, also my, my mom wanted me to be American. On the, I've, oh, so this, I, I was kind of wondering about the darker side of this journey. Um, have you had to work through any resent not knowing that until your thirties? And you mentioned the internal racist. So I, that's kind of a separate question, but like, mm -hmm. have you like, what has that been getting to a point where you can jump on YouTube and learn about these things that are important to your culture? Has there been guilt, shame, resent mm -hmm. anything? Yeah, definitely guilt. <laughs> There's definitely been guilt mm -hmm. and shame around that. Uh, why, it's like, why did I take on the white side of who I am? Why, why did I embrace that and reject the Korean side? Well, you just said you were saying your mom didn't want you wanted you to embrace your American side, which uh, I've noticed in some of my second generation, a lot of my second generation friends of different ethnicities in this country, like, it's like their parents are like, no, you need to assimilate as much as possible, especially if you don't look like you can yeah. assimilate, like, you better speak like, real good English. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I sound intelligent. Yeah. Right? You, you like even having a, in a, what, what do they call it? Like a colonized name. So instead mm -hmm. of having like, like I would, I would see other Asians who had like, you know, a Korean name or a Chinese name. And I would think, oh, thank God I have an American name mm -hmm. because I would see how they would get ridiculed. Like people wouldn't be able to pronounce their name, wouldn't even try to pronounce their name, would just give them, I'm just going to call you Jen or Anne or whatever. And it's like, I'm not going to, oh gosh, it's so inconvenient that I have to try and, and actually pronounce your name. I'm just, I'm just gonna just give you a name. You want to talk about privilege? Like, I'm just gonna say your name. Yeah, I'm gonna call you Bill the rest of this <laughs> episode. Keith. All right, Bill. Like, Nov, Nov did an amazing TikTok. This, this Nov uh -huh. the poet. He's this amazing, amazing dude, and he just did a, a TikTok on exactly that. And he's like, uh, what, "What's your name, man? Navier?" He's like, "Navier." Navir. And he's like, oh, neighbor. He's like, no, Navir. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I, I just can't say it. I just can't say it. He's like, uh, what's that? Um, what's that uh philosopher's name with the Z in it? He's like, oh, Nietzsche. He's like, oh, you can say that, but you can't say Navir. <laughs> like, it's like, oh yeah. I, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Not in not a good way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so there 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 has been guilt but then also gr showing myself grace and mm -hmm. and seeing okay i i was trying to survive <laughs> i was trying to uh be accepted and 
every every child wants that, right? That belonging. Every person wants that belonging. It has so, lowest hierarchy of needs. Like safety is paramount. And I heard that as you said that about the Korean names. It's yeah. like, uh, like who wants to be picked on at the same time? It's like, oh, but I'm like hating myself and mm-hmm. to a degree. But then it get there's another layer where it's not necessarily you when you haven't identified with it. Like you, just because you're of that bloodline doesn't mean that you've actually identified with it. And so it's a lot of confusion. What? Yeah. What? It, so the two two questions related. I'm curious how you are a embraced now within Korean circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about fairs and other things. And what does conformity look like once you embrace both sides of your identity or your whole identity? You, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I wouldn't even call it two sides. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm not sure I fully understand the question. Can you? Well, let's start with how are you embraced with with um, within Korean circles? Okay, so one of the things that's really cool about being Korean is you. Okay, I, I gotta share this story. This this is hilarious. Uh, so I was in Spain. So for my 40th birthday, I went to Spain by myself. God love my husband. He stayed with the kids. Mm. I went that's and. Awesome. I was in Southern Spain and I wanted to go to Alhambra. And I thought I had done the right thing and I got tickets in advance to see Alhambra. However, it it turns out that the tickets that I had gotten were just to see the outside gardens of Alhambra. Mm. So I was devastated to find this out and and I'm scour you know scouring around trying to see if I could get a ticket last minute and they're like no you've got a book six months in advance the only way you could possibly get a ticket would be to go early in the morning and wait in line and they give out like a, a small amount of tickets so I'm like okay I I get to it opens at eight I get there at 4 a.m there's already a long line and I'm, I, I end up not being able to get a ticket. Mm-hmm. So everyone's, he was waiting for hours in the dark. It's not happy, but we all go off and, and I, I just had this thing in me where I'm like, I've got to see, I've got to see Alhambra. I mean, how often will I come here? How often will I have this opportunity? So I'm just kind of wandering around and I see this Korean woman with like a tour guide flag. So you could be anywhere in the world. And if you are Korean and you talk to a Korean, they will be like, oh my gosh, you're Korean. There's such a strong nationalism in Korea because Korea was colonized so often by Japan, by China. They, they're considered like the, the kickball of Asia. And so there's such a strong nationalism in Korea. So I go up to this, this woman and I, I don't even speak Korean. So I go up to her and I just say, ask her, are you Korean? And she goes, yeah, I, I have, I do tours for Korean people here. And I go, I'm Korean. 
and she's so excited. And, and I just ask her, Hey, do you have any extra tickets? And, and she, she goes, well, yeah, maybe. And, and then she, she goes, well, the tour is going to be in Korean though. And you don't speak Korean. Is that okay? And I'm like, yes, that's fine. Just, just let me in. So it, it's, and it, so that's one of the things I do just love about my culture and that I've, I've come to really embrace is like, we, we have that connection and it's actually in Korean, there's a word called chon and, and it's a, it's unity, it's oneness. Um, so did, did that answer your question? So basically what I'm hearing is, and I'm going to stretch a little bit. When you were younger, you wouldn't have gone up to her and said, I'm Korean too. Therefore, not in your, if you were in that circle, you would have been held apart. Whereas just by merely embracing your heritage, whether you speak Korean or eat Korean food is all irrelevant. It's just simply accepting it and it's noticed. Like it's, yeah. it's in your behavior and how you act and all of that stuff. So as a result of the culture itself, you're welcome because you're welcoming them too. Yeah, very yeah. true. Like in college, there were, there were Korean groups. There, were, there was like a Korean student association. I never would, would want to be a part of something like that. Mm. Uh, I would never want to be associated as like, oh, you're, you're one of those people. And I, and I see, I see it. Like I, I see people who are minorities, for instance, who are, and I, I don't mean to get super political, but they're, they're super pro Trump. You can get political here. We talk about yeah, all of it. So they're super pro Trump. And I'm like, what? How can you be a minority and be so pro-Trump, given everything he said against minorities? However, I get it because when you have that that internalized racism, you don't realize it, and mm. you want to remove yourself from from being spotlighted and, and, and being scrutinized and being highlighted as one, Oh, you're one of those, my um, minorities, like you're, you're not really cool with us. Uh, after George Floyd died, uh, it was interesting because I was in this one Facebook group and there was a post about Asian businesses that had been affected by looting and there were some people on there who were were very just anti-black and and they they were like yeah like i'm not going to support this movement it's destroying asian businesses but then you also had a lot of people including myself jumping in and going no you're not getting this like the the this is your essentially indoctrinated into this system of white patriarchy and and you're defending it and but really you're actually suffering as a result of this too so it, it gets it it's really nuanced it's so very nuanced what, i mean it happens in black culture too uh, what about um 
on the model minority scale, where do Koreans fit in in the U.S. picture? In the is it just a lump like Asians, or is it Chinese, Japanese, Indians tend mm-hmm. to fall into the model minority category? Like, where how do Koreans see, see themselves? Yeah, there? it's it's so interesting because even when you say Asian, it it's so broad because super yeah. broad. Yeah, it's like saying yeah, yeah. You've got um, you've got Koreans, you've got East Asians, you've got um, Indians, you've got Mao, like Hmong, you have Vietnamese, you have Russia. Yeah, you have. And, and so it, it's really hard to just say, but I, Koreans tend to have more privilege than, than I would say like Filipinos, Vietnamese, Laos, uh koreans so east asians so we're talking chinese korean japanese tend to have a lot more privilege uh like if you if i have a friend as in treated more white yes have more white proximity are are seen as uh more educated or and so yeah they're so there's a lot of racism within the Asian culture. Like I, I know growing I up about that next, yeah. Growing up, uh in, in Hawaii, even though it's predominantly Asian, uh, there was a lot of racism against Filipinos. There against Vietnamese. Uh there's there was definitely um racism, obviously historically, between Japanese and Koreans. So yeah, it's just because you're Asian doesn't mean you see each other or get along. Right. Um, Unless you're white and then you're all the same. Yeah. Um, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a slight of myself. Um, I'm curious to uh, understand what it was like for your dad raising you as a single dad until you were 11 and what that experience was like having to manage that without really understanding it. Yeah. So I grew up in Pittsburgh and I grew up in a blue, in a blue collar area. And so there were, it was mainly white. However, there were some African-Americans very, very few Asians. I mean, it was like seeing a unicorn if I saw an Asian. And he, it was interesting because I I was also raised by my German grandmother. And I I remember talking to her about, oh, like talking to her about Black people and how how would you feel if I I dated a Black person? And, And she said, well, that's not, that's not right. And I'm going, what are you talking about? Like my, my dad married a a woman from another race. I I don't understand what you're talking about. And, and she, she goes, well, you're white, Wendy. Mm -hmm. And I am going, no, grandma, actually, I'm not white. I'm at the time it was, I'm actually yellow. (laughs) And she she was very confused by that, which I get now. But she even even on my birth certificate, I I was born in Georgia. My birth certificate says white. 
because there was only black or white. Yeah. They only had those distinctions. So gets into, again, white proximate Asians having white adjacency mm-hmm. and, and trying to leverage that as much as possible to, to get ahead, even if it meant s- stepping on other minorities' backs to, to get there. Um, well, it's so like for my whiteness thought- is the, the gold prize. Yes. And so it's the carrot that's dangled. Yes. And once a group, Irish, Polish, once a group gets it, and they're like, oh, psh, see y'all later. Like, yeah. I, I, I can't, I can't do anything that's going to get this taken from me. Exactly. So I can't, not like, I liked you, but now I got to go do this thing. So sorry. Yeah. And, and that's where the whole, uh, so my, my father, he, Try, he tried to protect me and he, uh, he did, but he didn't know about my, much about my Korean culture. Right. So it's not like he could teach me much about that, but I, I know, it, I know growing up, it was that we, I remember getting a lot of looks, getting a lot of looks at like, okay, here's my white dad. And here's me like, this is weird. And and he he definitely tried to protect me from that and and just tried to ignore it um but yeah he he did what he could given and, given the circumstances let me ask as a dad of two mixed race daughters mm-hmm. um i think about this a lot a lot a lot if you could give him your father or either your parents any advice looking back what you know now and look time travels weird like you change one thing you change everything i get it but like if if you could give him any advice as to what you think might have been helpful to somebody who's raising two young you know three-year-old and a one-year-old who are mm-hmm. going to struggle with the same thing i I look white, but I identify more with being black or I look brown and I identify with both or none. And yeah, what's your advice? I, I think it would be and your, like I see myself kind of as a bridge in a way now, like to, I, I understand a, a lot of things about the German culture, white culture, having, having grown up in, in Pittsburgh. Um, and I understand a lot of things about the Asian culture. So I embrace it. Like I embrace both cultures. I, I don't see any as better. Um, I try and teach my kids both. Um, I want them to embrace who they are and not try and conform to one or the other. Cause I, I think if you're biracial, it, you can fall into this binary. You, you feel like you have to like be, you have, to have a choice. Yeah. Have a choice. I have to choose one at where, but you really, when you're literally both or, yeah. or in, in what we're, we're not necessarily just two things or one thing. You're all the things at once. So you don't have to make a choice. Yeah, exactly. Like you can, you can love both, both sides of you. You can, and, and you don't have to, to try and be more 
Asian or try and be more white or try and be more black. You are who you are and mm-hmm. you're, you're really blessed that you can actually have the best of both worlds. Like I, I look at someone like Kamala Harris, right? Uh, she, I, I love how, what I'm sure she's had to do her own identity work, but I, I see her as, as a strong black woman, but also as a strong Asian American woman. I, I saw her making doses with Mindy Kaling, but also like having, talking about like her days. I think she was part of AKA, I believe, but yeah, she, she, she she gets Mm -hmm. to be who she is and she gets to like it. And, and that's the thing. Like you said, like, yeah. yeah, and and I, yeah, she can yeah. she can speak to the Asian community. She can speak to the Black community. She can actually bring them together, mm-hmm. and I think that's really beautiful. So I think it's it's really it it can be challenging because you you do want to fall into that acceptance and you don't want to be other, but it's it's also like a gift to to be able to to come be biracial. Appreciate. There's that. this weird uh, thing. I just oh, say, yeah, sorry. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. That's uh, that's some good stuff. Um, and sorry, just one clarification. Chun Chun ha, is chon, it like Chon C H O N or C H U with like an unlat oh, kind of oh, oh yeah, and it means unity, like a oneness. Yeah, there's not like a direct translation. Oh, and rarely ever is. With the right. limitation of the English language, exactly. the most complicated language, but it's so limited so, in its work. So there's this, there's this interesting thing as I was listening, and it's just something that kind of came to my mind. Mm-hmm. This, this burden of cultural judgment. Mm-hmm. All these things exist because of othering, mm-hmm. like cultural othering. Um, black didn't exist until uh, Americans brought Africans over and said, you're black. Yeah. And then everybody with dark sin became black or brown. And it creates this dichotomy. I mean, like you said, Japanese and Korean, like there's that racism that happens because of, you know, nationality and nationalism and, you know, conformity and this idea that my life and, it's it's a it's a projection of our individual psychologies because we do that to protect our own self-worth or our own ego. Yeah. And it's this just shitty thing that we do to one another that creates it even more individual psychological struggle for those who are in the judged culture mm-hmm. because now you have that thing hanging over your head along with the human experience which is already complicated enough that's exactly um, what i was just thinking yep <laughs> it's already you know? hard enough let's just stack stuff um, on can i ask you a question um yeah where was where was mom so mom was in hawaii okay and mom so my parents made the decision that i would go with my father because my mom didn't speak English very well. Mm. She also didn't have a college education. Didn't even, she, she has her GED now, but she, she didn't at the time. So her, her financial opportunities were very limited. 
let's say that she she went to Hawaii because she had my my aunts were living in Hawaii. So yeah, I I was with her for a bit, but they made that decision and which was really, I've done a lot of therapy and internal work to deal with that. But um, now I see it it was the most loving thing that my mom could have done for me given the situation, even though I think, you know, as a child, there was that, that, oh, why, why did she leave me or feeling that abandonment? abandonment? And, and so now, I mean, it's, we have a beautiful relationship now. We, we've talked about a lot of those things. So, so that's been really healthy. And I did move to Hawaii when I was 11 to live with my mother and my stepfather. So, yeah, I really, I do really, like at the time, again, as a kid, you you don't see it. But now I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I got to live in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I'm great. Of course, I'm, I'm grateful to have lived in, in Hawaii to, to have experienced such different cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to, to live in D.C. I went to college in D.C. I got to live in um, a primarily African-American culture. I got to live in Japan for a while. So I, I've learned so much being in these different cultures and uh, yeah, it's really, it's really been a gift. And I, I do believe it, it gives me a certain empathy and a certain window to bridge that gap when, when people don't understand when they've been maybe only in one culture. So I had asked about this idea of uh, what um, conformity does look like. So you rejected your Korean culture. And so this is, this is what I was trying to say. You rejected your Korean culture and thus conformed to the white culture that you saw as necessary to do the things that you did. So once you've embraced your Korean culture, what has that looked like in a professional setting? Yeah. So now I, get to to work with a lot of women like myself um not necessarily korean although i i do work with some korean american women but uh definitely a lot of asian american women and also latin uh ex-women who come from an immigrant background and there's certain things that are very common and and again the, the great thing is we tend to be great listeners, uh, which is which is wonderful in a lot of ways. But we tend not to feel like we have something to contribute. So maybe verbally, like uh, whereas maybe um, you talked about white men who like don't just maybe spout off just to say something because they want to take up space. (laughs) Um, Women, the women I work with tend not to want to take up space, whether that's physically, like we we've had, you know, we we've had a few conversations about that or verbally, 
so I work with with them Which on, on the physical thing. I'm sorry, I've I've seen that in meetings where like a yeah. female colleague will be maybe hunched or like yeah. in a protective kind of stance, like through the meeting, or mm-hmm. even more hunched. Uh, yeah, I've I've seen that. Yeah, and and a lot of that is cultural, and a lot of that is societal. But uh, so we we work on on asking for what you want. Um, internal work of no, you actually have something valuable to share. You you have something valuable to say, and not to just say anything for the sake of saying it, but you you do make a difference. Like even if you're the only person of color, even if you're the only woman in the room, that much more do you make a difference because you're going to have a different perspective. You're going to have that, that they wouldn't, you're going to have a different way of coming up with a solution that the majority of those people might not have even seen. So that, that's the kind of work that I, I get to do. Um, Actually, it was really exciting. Uh, one of my clients recently, she um, she had not she had been in the same position literally for almost ten years, and she ended up going for a job, and which was a big deal for her to even leave the safety of this stable stable job. So she ended up going for a job she wanted, and it was like a 20% increase in her salary, but we worked on her negotiating because Mm -hmm. normally she would have just taken the offer. It was already more than what she was making. So I asked her, what, what do you want? And she said, I actually want to be making 40% more than what I'm making now. So we, we role played it. We, and she, she made the ask and she got it. That's cool. Like, no questions asked. And, and so I really, if I, without, you know, share as much as is appropriate, but I'm curious, like, what did some of that conversation look like? It to like, what was stopping her from making that ask? A lot of it. So one of the tools that I love is role-playing people hate it Mm -hmm. because it's always awkward and it's like, yeah, like, but yeah, like role, role-playing. She hasn't, She's never had a conversation like that in her life. Oh, uh, so, so she didn't know what to say, yeah, or how to ask. Yeah, or... so it's like okay, so, so uh, like one one of the things she and and this happens culturally. She she would say, "Oh, if it's possible, mm-hmm. if it's possible, I would like this number." And it and so I coached her on that. I and I said, well, first of all, it is possible, so you don't really need to say that. <laughs> and secondly, that we we have these cultural ways of languaging that are not necessarily very empowering. Or like, oh, um, maybe, or or even the way you say it. Like so, so she might she might say, oh, well could I have this amount and, and say it in a kind of a timid way? So I, I had her repeat it. I, instead of is, would it be possible? I'm requesting this, this number just firm and, and just, I'm requesting this. So giving her, Oh, okay. I can use that language. I can say I'm requesting 
And it's, it's like, if she, it has to be authentic to the person too, mm -hmm. right? Like if she, if I were to say, I, I must have, or like that, that wouldn't be authentic to her. Right. Yeah. So we, we work with that. And so she practiced that I'm requesting. And so she, she felt confident to have that conversation. And a lot of these conversations, if you, if you're not confident, then it's going to come across. Yeah. So that, that's, does that answer your, your it question? does. Um, yeah. I feel like this is kind of another, another part of the conforming conversation. I've struggled to ask for raises or promotions or yeah anything that could be a potential inconvenience or could be a thing that would just shine a light on me. It was like, yeah positive or negative it's like hey you know what i have a job i'm happy like i'm the only black right. dude in like 17 teams like i don't want a reason for them to be like we don't have any so yeah like so i'm exactly. like you know what if you could do the raise that would be cool but like don't look don't don't fire me because i asked it's kind of what's going on in my head Definitely. and um whereas I, keith i would presume you would just be like yo i want to raise i want a promotion <laughs> no i mean well it's <laughs> It's interesting. It goes back to the the PSA that we did before, right? It's it's that added context. I struggle like when I'm first getting a job to ask that question, right? Because like I don't want you to take the job away from me, right? Really want and that was wonderful. Right? Got all of these yeah. things, yeah. And so I've struggled it. I haven't struggled to ask for raises or promotions mm -hmm. once I'm once in, in the it. job once I've established myself as a credible person, but the asking at higher is hard. Now, I also only have to worry about me. Like, is it a confidence issue? Is it like a belief issue? Is right. it whatever? I don't have to worry about what you just said, right? Like I'm never, never thinking, man, I'm a white guy. They might, they might turn me down if I ask for a raise. Right. Like, so it's just that added dimension mm -hmm. of thought based on historical context. Like extra that nuance. Don't have to deal with, right. That makes answering that question more complicated. So I can go through the confidence. I'm going to get the confidence and I'm going to go through it and I'm going to ask this question and they're going to say no. And I'm going to accept the offer as it is. That's, I'll, I'll be good. Don't have to tell, like, that's just so many other variables that make it more difficult to make that step. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that is the, the, the very fundamental component of what we were trying to say. Before. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, I mean, what you just highlighted, I think is maybe why it gets, especially for somebody who doesn't want to think about it. Like, Oh, I don't have privilege. Like there's so many nuances right. because yes, everybody has their own confidence issues. And like, I might say to Bill, like, hey, I really struggle with this. And I think it has a lot to do with being black. And he's like, I struggle with asking for racism. It's like, it's not that you don't struggle with it. It's just that like I have extra layers of why I struggle. Yeah. Well, and it's even from coming from a from my background it, or someone with a similar background, it would be like, well, if what if they take the the job offer back? Like, what are my parents going to think? Like mm. they've sacrificed so much for me to get an education and for to even be in this country. Like I should just be grateful because I don't mm. want to put myself at risk. If I put myself at risk, I could lose it all. Mm -hmm. And that would literally disgrace the, the entire family. There is, um, um, Brady, you might have more comments because because we're pretty hard on time. Mm -hmm. We got three minutes yeah. and one more question. 
um, Rodney and I had this discussion the other day about allyship. Mm-hmm. And to me right now, I'm really trying to fundamentally understand what that looks like it, for me. Why, why does Rodney go, you're, you are what I want an ally to be. And like what I've come to is treating everybody as if they were you, like not like treating everybody equally is one thing Mm -hmm. that that is a thing that helps, but also understanding that their cultural and historical perspective makes however they're going to react different than you would react and understanding it just knowing it maybe know a thing or two about them culturally or historically or mm-hmm. whatever the case just know that's going to paint the picture and not go well that's that's not what i deal with so that's not what you deal with and you need to get over it yeah right that's where i think allyship is overcomplicating. We're we're forgetting that just learn just understand that it's just different and be okay that just because it's different for you it doesn't make me a bad person yeah yeah but um sorry so i it's something that i've been thinking a lot about for the last 24 hours so i saw an opportunity to go on a high horse for a second (laughs) um (laughs) you know we're gonna gonna do a segment called the high horse with keith richardson (laughs) (laughs) so um rodney I have other questions, but we can do them later. We can, we have other avenues for them. So it's all good. Um, Wendy, this has been refreshing Mm. and thank you for sharing some of your history and background and being open. Uh, uh, and and really, and really digging in because I think some of the, the nuances here are important for people. Uh, so really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. This has been amazing. We, we end every episode with the same question. This is now your audience. What do you want to leave them with? Uh, yeah, it, it always comes down to having a conversation, which is why I, I love the, the work that you do. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that would be a takeaway I could give you. And, and listening to podcasts like this, I'm, I'll put in a shameless plug for my podcast as well, Beyond the Beyond Listing In podcast, uh, that that's it, maybe you're intimidated to actually approach someone. You could start with, with a, listening to these kinds of conversations and then actually inviting someone for a, nowadays a virtual coffee or something like that. Many thanks again to Rodney and Keith for having me on the podcast. I loved our conversation so much. I just wanted to share a bit about my upcoming program that I am launching in January of 2021 for women of color, and it is called the Slay and Play Sisterhood. And this is going to be a 12-week program for women of color where we challenge our limiting cultural limiting beliefs where we set boundaries where we go after what we want but we do it in a fun and joyful way 
where we love ourselves in the process. So if it's something that you or anyone you know would be interested in, please definitely reach out to me at my website beyondblendingin.com and I would love to talk to you more about it. Thanks so much.